This is the power of a great story. It brings encouragement. It sparks laughter and joy. A great story makes you think and taps into your deepest emotions. A great story can make you cry. It has the power to heal and it brings comfort and peace. A great story is about every one of us. It shows us the dark and also the light. A great story reveals the truth and the truth will change your life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Good morning, Cornerstone Church. Come on, man, let's get rowdy. Let's make some noise. I'm excited to be here today. Well, my name is Scott Rogers. I want to take the time to welcome the Scottsdale campus and the Santan campus. You guys are crushing it. Way to go. Let's give it up for our other locations, man. We're in this together to reach the valley for Christ. Um, man, I'm so excited to be here. I, you kind of stuck with me a little bit, kind of family now. I get to come here uh, now and then, and so thankful that Lynn invited me back for this series called The Storyteller, which we kick off today for five weeks. We're going to dig into what are some of the most well-known, famous stories or parables that Jesus ever taught that are recorded in Scripture. And here's what's interesting about parables, is that every single one of them God intended to challenge us, to challenge us to lay down more of our life and to follow harder after him. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus in this series. Hope you're cool with that. We're going to talk about a lot about living our life with a kingdom mindset. I hope you're cool to talk about that because this series, we're going to dig in and we're going to just open up and say, God, challenge me. I want to grow. I want you to do more things in my life at a deeper level. Now, that being said, man, what I want you to do is if you have a Bible that's on your app or it's on your lap, however you carry it, if you have it, open it up to Proverbs chapter 4. Interestingly enough, we're going to start in the Old Testament to kick off this series on some parables. And while you're turning there, uh, man, I just want to tell you, give you an update, the Rogers family. It seems like the older I get, yeah, I'm sorry, man, I'm not 23 anymore, but it seems like the older I get, the more time goes on, the faster time goes. Have any of you ever experienced that? I mean, next, uh, or August, actually, Shelly and I are going to celebrate 20 years being married. So our 20th wedding anniversary is in August. Crazy. That's a long time in my world. Our oldest daughter, Ashley, just graduated from high school. That just freaks me out. She's going to college. She picked up. Uh, a college like in some obscure little town called Phoenix. She's going to go to Grand Canyon University right out here in Phoenix. So she can be in the valley enjoying the sunshine. And uh, I think about all that stuff going on, and it made me think, well, how long has it been since I asked Christ to come into my life? How long has it been since I came to that point of saying, you know what? I believe in God. I believe that he loves me. I believe that he wants to forgive me. He wants me to be his child and all that amazing stuff. I made that decision 24 years ago, man. That is, to me, a long, long time. Now, I know it's a long time because that was 1991. Some of you weren't even around in 1991. I mean, good night. So I gave my life to Christ in 1991. Other things were going on that year too. Let me take you back a little bit, a little 1991 history. Some of the bands of the day, some of the big bands of the day. Anybody remember a band called Boys to Men? That was in 1991. How about Nirvana 
and Kurt Cobain. That was back in 1991. Michael Jordan won his second MVP in 91. I think, you know, my son Dylan, who's 14, has never seen Michael Jordan play. I'm like, son, you have missed out on the finer things of life because he was a stud. Second MVP uh, growing up in Michigan, Des Howard wins the Heisman Trophy as a Wolverine in 91. Way more important than that, uh, Operation Desert Storm happened in 1991. And uh, the internet went public in 91. Way back, man, the internet goes public. Cool stuff, but for me the coolest was give my life to Christ. Second to that is, as far as cool things, look at your screen because this is kind of what I look like back around 1991. That's me, man. Right on. That's cool. Take it down, man. It's too much. Too, too much. 1991. I look back at that. I have this, this thought. Is, I wish I knew then what I know now. Have you ever had that thought? Gosh, I wish I knew then what I know now. In so many areas of life, I would have honestly done some things differently. And I, I, even spiritually, I wish I would have known with every ounce of sincerity I can tell you, I wish I would have known back then, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It is a linchpin, in my opinion, on our spiritual life. And here's what it says. Proverbs 4, 23 says, guard your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence because it determines the course of your life. Christian or non-Christian, I think we would all agree that What's going on in our hearts, the condition of our heart, one, determines the quality of our life. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, I would go beyond that and say that the condition of our heart can determine the depth of God's work in our life. God does not have robots. We are responsible for the condition of our heart. And scripture says to guard it. Not on the defensive with fear, but because God has great ground for us to take spiritually. He wants to do great things in our life in a deeper level than maybe some of us can even imagine. But he realizes that if we don't take care of our heart in the sense of cultivating a tender heart that's willing to be teachable and to learn from him and that's obedient to him, he can't do the deeper things in our life that he wants to do. I think that's why he says guard it. Guard it with all diligence, above all else, because it determines the course of our life. And that's when we get to this whole storyteller idea in the parables of Jesus because Jesus teaches a parable that I think beautifully illustrates this whole reality of the condition of our heart can determine the depth of God's work in our life. So if you have your Bible, flip over to the New Testament and we're going to go into Mark chapter 4. Scottsdale, go ahead and turn there. Santan, you can turn there as well. Mark chapter 4 and Jesus tells this parable. And it's called the parable of the sower. Anybody heard the parable of the sower before? Raise your hand if you've heard of the parable of the sower. I've read this, I don't know how many times, literally hundreds of times. And most of the time, if not all, when Jesus teaches a parable, there's really one main truth he's trying to convey. And I read this parable, it's not that I come out with new truths. It's just that it reads me at a deeper and deeper level every time I think about it and I give it space in my life and consider what it's saying. Back in the day, before we get into the text, the teachers of the day, the rabbis, the, the, the other teachers, Jesus being one, man, he was a master storyteller. I mean, as a son of God, why wouldn't he be, right? He was an incredible teacher. Scripture would literally say he was, that people were uh, mesmerized 
by his teaching, not because of his charisma, but because of the depth of the truth and the conviction that came from it. And so when Jesus teaches a parable, he was doing what many teachers in that day would do. They would teach in parables so that those who were listening would be challenged to try to gain an understanding. What would happen is a teacher would have their followers, their disciples, and they'd start teaching, and other people would gather around people walking by, whatever. They didn't have their mobile device and staring at their phone. They actually noticed what was going on around them. And they would stop because some religious leader or someone is speaking. And they would literally stop and listen. And they would speak in parables so that after they were done, those who really desired to know the deeper meaning would stay behind and ask, what are you trying to say? And if you read Mark 4, you can see that that's going on. Jesus is beginning to teach and he's by a lake shore. And then crowds, a crowd starts to, to gather, so much so that he gets into a little boat right there on the shore to give some space. Maybe he has a space bubble like me, I don't know. But he gets in the boat and begins to teach. And he teaches this parable of the sower, which is really an agricultural story. And parables are always like illustrations of something that people could see right then. Like when Jesus would say, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, the people who were listening could see the city that was on the hill. Jesus would have been a great second grade Sunday school teacher because he used object lessons all the time. And so he talks about a farmer planting seed. And most everybody there knew exactly what he was talking about. They probably could see the fields off in the distance. And the fields were separated by these footpaths or these walkways. Not fences and fence posts, but these paths that people would separate their land by. So Jesus goes into this teaching. He says, you know, a farmer went out to plant a seed. Some of your translations say to sow his seed. And he had this big strap around him and all this seed right here, and they would throw it out by hand. They didn't have John Deere back then, and they would just throw the seed out by hand. And they would always throw a lot of seed because they knew only a certain amount was actually going to take. So Jesus says the farmer went out to, to, to plant his seed. Some of the seed that he threw fell on the footpath. And the footpath is really hard. The ground is hard. And he said, when the seed fell on the footpath, the birds came down and took it, ate it, had lunch, basically. And everybody's like, yeah, I know. Happens all the time. I try not to throw the seed on the path, right? And then he says, the other seed fell on the shallow soil where there was maybe an inch or two that was over a bedrock or limestone. And he said, that seed, man, it took really fast and it grew really fast, but it had no roots underneath to take hold. So when the sun came out in the day and kind of beat on it, it withered away and it died. And I can imagine everybody going, yeah, I know. I hate it when that happens. It happens in some of my crops every year. And then he goes and says, some of the seed fell on the soil that actually had thorns and weeds in it, but they just hadn't grown up yet. So when the grain begins to grow, so does the thorns or the weeds, and they choke out the grain so there is no harvest, there is no fruit. It dies. They knew that as well. And then he wraps it up by saying, but some of the seed fell on fruitful ground where it grew a harvest, some 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold what was planted. And then those who cared to know what the deeper spiritual meaning was of this simple story said, Jesus, we don't understand. What are you trying to say with this? And that's where we're going to pick it up. So open up your Bible, look at Mark 4, verse 13. And Jesus responds interestingly to that question where he knew someone were going to ask it. But he says in verse 13, he basically says, hey, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how are you going to understand the meaning of all the other parables I'm going to teach you? And so I don't know really 
what he was trying to say specifically there, other than I wonder if he's trying to say, guys, come on, this is so simple. You should get this like really fast. Right now, you should understand this. Or I wonder if he was saying, you know, what I'm going to say here is so critical to understanding everything else I'm going to say down the road that you better get this right for the future of what I'm going to teach. I don't know, but it, whatever it is, it's really important that we understand this. So here he goes, and he begins to uh, unpack it and tell us what he means spiritually. And I'm going to ask for some interaction here, so be ready for me, okay? So verse 14, he says, The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Everybody say, the seed is God's word. Scottsdale, the seed he's talking about is the word of God. It's the scriptures. It's the Holy Bible. We have different names for it, but that's what he's talking about. So Jesus is saying, you know, when the farmer goes out and throws his seed and the birds come down and they take it away, well, what, spiritually speaking, God's word is going out and God's word is being thrown and scattered and looking for fertile soil. And then he goes into uh, verse 15 and he says, you know, the seed that fell on the footpath it represents those who hear the message. Just pause real quick. When I say hear the message, what he's really saying there is the message of what we would call the kingdom of God. That is the message of creation and restoration and God redeeming us back into relationship through the coming Messiah and all of that stuff. That's what he's referring to, the whole package, when he says the message. He says the seed that fell on the footpath, it represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Everybody say the hard heart. Santan Campus, the hard heart, not to try to scare anybody, but if you read the Bible, you quickly realize that there is a spiritual enemy, and his name is Satan, and his desire is nothing less than stealing out of your life every ounce of what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take it away. And so Jesus is literally saying, you know, um, when we are just passive listeners to God's word without any real interest or sincere interest in understanding what, what, what it says or what it means, that is just like Satan coming along when God's word is thrown on our hard heart and he snatches it away and it never bears any fruit. I'm just convinced that if we casually hear something taught from the scriptures, but we don't really care to know what it means, that Satan comes along in how, whatever way that works to distract us from that truth and so that we just keep on moving along with life and we don't ponder what we just heard. The hard heart. And I want to try to unpack, like, what, how do we know if we have a hard heart? Or how do I know if I have any of these other kinds of hearts? Because in this parable, Jesus really exposes the condition of our heart and our receptivity to God's truth. So how do I know if I have a hard heart? Well, let me first ask this question. Santan, all of us, does any of you guys want to be the guy or the gal with a hard heart? Raise your hand. Like, man, I want the hard heart. I don't want God to be able to do anything in my life. Anybody? Hardly anybody. I don't see any hands going up. We don't want the hard heart. And maybe you ask, well, Scott, how do I know if I have a hard heart? Well, I would just say, um, if you ever sincerely ask the question or are concerned about ever having the hard heart, you probably don't have the hard heart because you care enough to ask. That hard heart, it can keep out the work of God in our life. So everybody say the hard heart. So let's keep on moving. We got to go through all this stuff. Verse 16, Jesus goes on to say, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately they receive it with joy. I remember when I gave my life to Christ in 1991, 
A few folks said to me, you know, well, I'm like, man, I guess I said Jesus into my life. I don't really understand all what that means, but I'm really excited about learning what that means. And I'm already experiencing some neat things in my heart and in my life. And a few people would say, well, we'll just see how long that lasts. 24 years later, baby, still rolling. So it says, on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, but they immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, remember the, the seed that grew up fast and it withered because it didn't have roots? He said, but since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Man. Everybody say the shallow heart. The shallow heart is one where we, we hear the message of Christ. To a degree, we get it. We're like, really? God, God really did create me? There is an intelligent design to all this stuff and all the mess and the stuff that I'm a part of and that sin, I can just ask God to forgive me and give my life to Christ and he can turn that all around and he wants to do stuff in my life now, but even bigger than that, I have eternity to spend and I'm not a mistake and on and on and on. Like, wow, that's pretty cool. We receive it with joy. But once we push up against some resistance or some pushback, Jesus says the shallow heart taps out and pulls back. It's not worth the hassle. This is, uh, those of us, I, I speak to myself and challenge myself with this as well, as like, we're inspired on Sunday. We're inspired when Lynn Winters teaches a message on Sunday. You're like, man, that's encouraging. That's life-giving. I am so encouraged by that. But yet, the inspiration is there, but we don't really desire the transformation that God wants to do deep in our heart. We're inspired on Sunday, but unwilling on Monday to live it out. Because when we start to take action on this way of life that Jesus taught, there's backlash. And there's people that would not agree with it. And we're just like, man, that's not worth the hassle, this whole Jesus, the way of Jesus thing. Maybe you're a business person and you begin a relationship with Christ and you soon realize like, wow, God never asked me to separate the sacred from the secular. He wants me to integrate my faith in every area of my life. There aren't any silos in my life. And now my business, uh, God maybe wants me to have my business to be for profit and for good. And if I'm going to live out or lead my business in a way that reflects biblical values, all of a sudden my business practices have to say, well, man, I want to do unto others as they would do unto me. I want to love my neighbors. I love myself. I got to walk in honesty here. I might have to take smaller profit margin because I got to call the truth what it is and be honest about this deal. And I'm telling you, there can be some problems in the beginning. With that whole approach, living the life that Jesus calls us to can be some problems. You might be an Arizona sun devil and loving it, man. And you're like, man, I'm, is anybody loving there? there? Anybody here a sun devil? Come on. I'm a sun devil and I'm living for Jesus. And you suddenly realize, man, the life that God's calling me to live, how can I be a sun devil? And to some people, I'm going to look like an angel. How do I hold the fork and wear the halo at the same time, man? What am I going to do? I'm going to get kicked out. I'm not going to, some of my friends are going to say, man, that's, that isn't going to flow with what I want to do. Do we tap out and say, yeah, I know, I'll go with you. Or are we going to stand up and say, man, I love you, but I, I want to follow God's plan for my life. There's pushback. There's problems. God loves the wildcats too. Come on. Now, I couldn't say God loves cat lovers, but God loves the wildcats. And it's the same. 
When he calls us to that life, if our heart is shallow, we're going to tap out really fast when we realize, man, it isn't always easy living the life following Christ. Sometimes we're countercultural. Shallow heart. Everybody say the shallow heart. He goes on and he says in verse 18, the seed that fell among the thorns, the seed that, you know, the thorns grew up with the seed. He said, uh, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. Santan, say it with us, the crowded heart. The crowded heart. God's doing a work in our life, but yet there's other things there. It's almost, it's like we can be pursuing a relationship with Christ and yet at the same time, holding tightly to other stuff. And that other stuff, more than likely it's not sinful, but it's trying to take that place of uh, supremacy in our heart and in our life. And Jesus is like, man, that's gonna crowd out the deeper work I wanna do in your heart. It's that stuff where, um, you know, the worries of life and the desire for more. And it's as if we can, we can be rightly getting our identity in Christ, but getting our security from other things. It's a challenge. It's like we want the benefits of following Christ without the commitment of following Christ to step on our own toes a little bit. That shallow heart where I'm like, man, I'm worried. I worry about a lot of stuff. I worry about our kids. I worry about all this stuff. I worry about what my dog is, is you know, doing in the neighbor's yard. It's like, you know, don't, don't be peeing over there, man. Get over here. But I worry about stuff. And it's not that it's wrong, but I think what Jesus is saying is saying, you know, Worry is just a level of fear, and fear is about tomorrow. And if we're fearing about God's genuine care for us and how things are going to work out, and we're going to try to control it and manipulate it, and we're just going to have so much worry, it's going to crowd out what God wants to do in our life. Or it's that desire for greater margin, greater security, greater comfort in our life. And so we suddenly become workaholics because we're so darn busy trying to create that surplus so that we get our peace from that. And God's saying, man, I want to bless you. But the symptom of the crowded heart starts to say, well, I want to grow spiritually. I want to know God more. But man, I, I just don't have the time. It's crowding our heart out. The things of God are getting pushed out by the worries and the desire for other stuff. And Jesus is saying, you know, I've got so much more for you than what you're experiencing. I want your heart to be fruitful don't allow the worries of this life. Don't allow the want for other things to push out the space that I need to take up to do a deeper work in your life. So we have the hard heart. We have the shallow heart. We've got the crowded heart. But then he gets to the really good one, and that's what we call the fruitful heart. Say that, the fruitful heart. So here's where he goes. He lands this plane in verse 20. He says, And the seed that fell on good soil, it represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been, as has been planted. This is the fruitful heart. And what's interesting about this is it's not rocket science to have a, a blessed spiritual life, a fruitful spiritual life, where the evidence of God working is, is, is easy to see in the peace that we have and the joy that we can have and the patience that we can have, and the hunger for God, and the desire for spiritual things can be there in abundance. And it's not rocket science. Jesus simply says, the good soil is those who hear God's word and accept it. It's like, you know, accept is really, God, you said it. I'm going to believe it. 
And now this might sound like a swear word, but I'm going to obey it. I'm going to submit to it. I'm going to surrender to it. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to live this thing. I'm going to act on it. No matter what problems, what persecution, what worries crop up, what desire for other things come my way, I'm going to choose to follow Christ. And God says, that's the heart that I can do great things in. Because the condition of our heart determines what God can do in our life. That's the heart God wants. And it doesn't take a whole lot. We don't have to go fast for 40 days and walk around Maricopa. You don't have to read 30 chapters of your Bible every single day to grow spiritually. We don't, I mean, we really don't have to. It's just the little every day being intentional to grow spiritually. We have, a, we have this orange tree in our backyard. It's a little tree about six foot tall. And it's been looking horrible for a couple of years. So we're in this drought in California. You probably heard it all over the news. California's called the Golden State because this is burnt up. I mean, that's my opinion on why it's called the Golden State. Everything, it's so dry. They're literally even having car washes in our community. You know, kids, car wash, free car wash, fundraiser. Well, they're not using water. They're doing interior car cleanings now because it's taboo to use the water. You literally have to put on your fatigues or your ninja suit after sunset and go out with your hose, turn it on low and wash your car so your psychotic neighbor doesn't call the city and turn you in for violating water restrictions. It's crazy how dry it is. And so we have this tree in our backyard. It's just a victim of the drought. I mean, these oranges are like oranges that need Jesus, man. They look horrible. They're dying on the vine. There's no life to them. And my wife, Shelly, had uh, what she thought was a great idea. She says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to help that orange tree. And when we wash the pots and pans in the sink, the stuff that doesn't fit in the dishwasher, we're going to, while we're waiting for the water to get warm, you know what I mean? You turn it on, you wait for the water to get warm. You might not have that here in the desert in the summertime. It might be hot right from the, out of the gate. But most of us have to wait for the water to get warm. She says, while we're waiting, we're not just going to let it go down the drain. Let's go, let's take this little bucket and let's collect the cold water. And then when it turns warm, we'll put it in the sink and the soap and let that be the dishwater. But I'm going to take this little bucket and I'm going to go out and I'm going to pour it on the orange tree. And I, I thought, that's the dumbest idea. Do you, do you really believe you're going to solve the drought of California with your little ice cream bucket? And she's, she's like, no, you just watch. And I kind of roll my eyes like every husband does and the wife has a great idea. You know, we are setting us up to look like the fool. And so she starts putting water on the tree and she trains me. I, I suddenly find myself, oh, oh, catch the water, catch the water. And I go out and put a little water on the base of the tree. And then I get into it. I'm like, well, there's a plant over there. Let's get that next time. Let's get that water. And I go out and put on a couple plants. The whole time this is going on, I'm not really paying attention to the orange tree. Honestly, I'm not even, it's almost like I'm not even looking up. Well, time goes on. Shelly comes in the house one day. She has two or three oranges in her hand. She says, taste this orange. And I thought, oh, here we go. She's going to nail me right here. I taste the orange, and it was incredible. Incredible. I know many of you guys have orange trees in your yard, and you know when they're fresh off the tree and it's a good season, they are absolutely delicious. It was amazing. And I think about that same thing spiritually. It didn't take a fire hose to water that tree every single day for hours. It was just a little bucket every day or every other day doing the basics, watering that tree, and the fruit came. It's the same way in our life most of the time spiritually. Just the basics. Reading God's word with a heart that wants to grow and understand what he's teaching. It's not coming to church to sing songs, but to worship God through song. It's that reality of saying, you know, 
God, I'm going to pray because I know you hear me and I know you want me to share my heart with you and I really believe that you're going to respond and over the course of time, I'm going to see how my prayers are starting to get you more involved in areas of my life because I'm welcoming you in and I'm surrendering my heart to you and I'm dependent on you. And it's the basic stuff every day, just watering it a little at a time and before you know it, you look back on your life and you're like, wow, God is at work in my life. Things aren't always easy. I have problems. I'm getting some pushback. I still worry about some stuff. I, I have a problem with wanting to have more security and comfort than maybe I should as a follower of Christ. But man, my heart, I'm keeping it soft and I'm cultivating it little by little and there's fruit in my life. God, that's what God wants to do. He's not gonna make it hard for us. It's accessible. It's right there for us. It's just cultivating our heart little by little every day with the basic spiritual practices that we learn when we get into the Word of God and we come to church and guys like Lynn and other folks teach us what to do. But I would say there's a caveat to it. And that is there are seasons, at least that I've been through, where it seems like it's harder to experience that spiritual fruit, the work of God in our life. It's just harder to see. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you kind of feel like you are in the drought and you're dry, and it's like, God, where have you gone? Have you left me? I don't see you active anywhere in my life, and everything spiritual seems to be harder than it usually is or should be, and I think it's in those seasons, if you've been a follower of Christ for any time, you've probably gone through that. It's in those seasons where we realize that the hard work is going to be the heart work. We've got to do that hard work of keeping our heart tender and pliable and soft before God so that he can continue to transform our life because the condition of our heart determines what he's able to do in our life. Years ago, this is probably 10 years ago, I think it was in 05, 05, 06. We were out here in Phoenix and I was with an a, a incredible church. Still, I think one of the best churches in the world have lifelong friends there. And uh, we came out as a church and started two uh, locations for our church in Phoenix back in that time. And uh, we had this big desire, great intent. We wanted to reach people who probably were far from God, didn't know God, had zero interest in going into a church. And so we come up with this big idea of how to launch this thing. And we did this marketing campaign. And the marketing campaign said this. It said, love God, but hate church. And then it was kind of like said, so did we come out and check out our church. And two things went really bad with that whole marketing campaign. Well, first is we did hundreds of thousands of big postcard mailers that maybe hit many of your mailboxes if you were around the East Valley back in that time. We did billboards all up and down the highways. We did 150 late night infomercials in the Phoenix television market hoping to get the guy sitting in his living room at 3 a.m., eating the frozen banquet dinner, waking up three hours later with a horrible hangover. We're trying to reach that guy. And so as we're trying to do all this, we realized the whole thought, the whole thing of love God but hate church went wrong because the first thing we quickly realized was that we indirectly spoke negatively of other churches. And we realized, you know what? That just makes the assumption that someone has had a bad experience at a different church. And that is not a kingdom mindset right there. Fouls on us, wrong, we're sorry, we made a mistake. That went wrong. And then the other thing is, love God but hate church. It didn't really seem to get people who didn't know God. It actually worked. 
for a few people, most of which were incredible, who are friends to this day, but it seemed to attract some people who literally said, I love God, but I hate the church. Imagine being the pastor for those people. <laughs> oh, man, I love God, but I hate everything you represent. Well, come on in, man. Join the family. I use amazing how my weaknesses were so overexposed, like everything I did that was even close to being uh, wasn't perfect. I, was, I felt like the ant under the magnifying glass on a hot summer day. You're like, all right, let's burn this sucker up, man. Ooh, poof, there he goes. You ever done that? It's pretty cool. Try it sometime. I felt like that was me. And I remember going through that. And I was like, gosh. And I was praying, God, I love you, but your people are killing me. I can't do this much longer. This is crazy. And, and literally what was happening was, for me, the work of God in the local church was crowding out the work of God in my own life. And I came to that place where I realized my heart's hard. I'm not into this anymore. I would, I would, most people I'd look at and say, man, they're incredible people, most sincere people I've ever met. But every now and then I'd look at somebody in a group and I'd be like, that guy's a jerk. God, I don't care if you do anything in his life. I know Lynn never thinks that, but I did. My heart was getting hard. I didn't love people like God wanted me to. And I began to say, you know, God, if, it if this is what it takes to reach people who don't know you, I'm tapping out. I'm done. I don't want any part of it. The has it's too much of a hassle. I began to worry about stuff. What are people thinking of me? And, you know, all my weaknesses. God, you can't use me. And, and I became bitter, bitter towards other people. And God really began to show that to me and say, you know what, Scott? People are not your enemy. I've, I'll take care of people. Your enemy is your hard heart. You've got to guard your heart with all diligence because this, what you do right now in this season is going to determine the course of your life. You've got to do the hard work of the heart work in your life. I had to get on my face before God and repent. I had to ask for forgiveness and say, God, forgive me for judging people, for being bitter over people. And, and God, I need to help me let it go. And over the course of time, the fruit began to come back in my life. I could see the work of God in my heart again. No matter what was going on around me, the fruit was, yeah, there were still some thorns. There was still some weed in my life. Well, weeds. In California, everybody has weed in their life, right? Man, I got weed. I got fruit. We're all good. The best of both worlds. But the fruit was coming back. And my heart was soft again. And I've gone through seasons of that over again. God, I want to cultivate my heart. I want it to be tender. I want the fruitful heart. And so I want to pray for you this morning. Santan and Scott, I want to pray for you as well. My prayers aren't anything different than your prayers, all right? But what I want to pray for is our hearts. And I want to ask you the question, which of these areas do you identify with the most? Are you the hard heart where you could care less if God were to speak to you and what he's trying to say? If so, just own it and say, God, help me to listen. I want to, I want to be that person that, that pauses and listens to what you have to say. Maybe you're the person with a shallow heart and you know the benefits of following Jesus is not easy, but there's a cool benefit package. It's eternity and it's the presence of God in this life. But maybe you're the shallow heart that taps out and you're unwilling to stand for Christ in your world. And maybe God's saying to you today, don't tap out, man. I want you to stand up. I got your back. You can lean back. I'll give you the strength, but I want you to stand up in grace and in love but I want you to stay in this game, no matter the problems. 
Or maybe you're the crowded heart and you can see it right now. God's trying to do a work in your life, but you've pushed him out so much because of the stuff we worry about that we try to control, the things that we're trying to acquire, and there's no space for God in our life. We can't hear the voice of God because our own is so noisy. Maybe that's you. And today we're just going to pray that God would show us what that is so that we, this week, it's all I'm asking, this week say, God, help me to cultivate a heart that can be spiritually fruitful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, just for what you're doing in our life. And God, we, we thank you that you're always at work. So help us to see areas in our heart where you want us to cultivate it, where it might be hard, where it might be shallow, where it might be crowded. And to just do that work of saying, God, we want you in our heart. Forgive us for holding on to things or putting stuff in the place where you should be. And God, help me to have that soft heart so that you can do all what you want to do, that we can have a lot of fruit in our life. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for this parable that you've taught us these things through this simple story. And Lord, we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.